Welcome to the Soul Mama podcast, where we have deep and honest conversations about healing, awakening, spirituality, and wellness on the sacred journey of conscious motherhood. We ask how we can walk this path in a way that nourishes, elevates, and heals us and our children. We deserve space and time to slow down and tune in to our hearts, to heal ourselves, and to honor our highest callings. It starts with us. I'm Nahanda Truscott-Reed. I'm a mother, holistic wellness coach, writer, and speaker, and I am passionate about all of the ways we can raise our consciousness and come into more alignment and power as women and mothers. So we can heal the past and make more empowered choices for the future. Our stories and voices matter. It is my intention that these conversations inspire, motivate, and move you on your own Soul Mama journey. I'm so honored that you're here. In this conversation, I'm speaking to Mars Lord. Mars is an award-winning doula and birth activist with a burning desire to see the colouring in of the landscape of birth. She is also committed to finding out the real reasons behind the maternal and neonatal morbidity rates amongst women of colour. Mars created Abuela Doulas, a doula preparation course primarily but not exclusively for women of colour. Her desire for reproductive justice led to the creation of the Reproductive Justice Retreat, and she is a constant force in the community propelling this conversation of women in colour and birth forward. We talk about the role of a doula, about the importance of ancestral wisdom, and explore some ways we can regain our power as women and as mothers. What I love about Mars is her commitment to the truth. She says it how it is, and does so passionately and unapologetically. I hope you get what you need from this conversation. Welcome to the Soul Mama podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited by it. I have been hearing your name pop up a lot recently in recent conversations around birth and around doulering and around black maternal mortality rates. And it struck me that I had actually approached you uh, nearly four years ago now to actually be my doula for my daughter. Wow. And what struck me at that point was I was looking through the website and I was like, I know I really want a woman of color to be able to hold space for me and for my family. And then your name came up and I was like, Mars Lord. Like if there's anyone that you want standing by your side when you're going through that transition of birth, like it was going to be Mars Lord. But as it happened, you were um, you were really busy at that time and you were doing lots of other births. So yeah, sorry about that. No, it's, it's fine. <laughs> I, had, I had a good experience. I had another doula and I had an, a good experience with my daughter. But it since led me into this work and into understanding the importance of having support and for building our village for this pathway of motherhood, which I believe has the potential to be such a sacred gateway and opportunity for awakening, but so many of us are not experiencing it in that way. I just wondered if you could speak a little about your journey into doula work and being a mother yourself, how you've navigated that whole transition. Well, it was pure nosiness, coffee and cake that brought me to doulaing. Tell me more. 
So my twins were very small babies and I went on a, a coffee morning, a school coffee morning. I hate coffee mornings. I hate coffee mornings. <laughs> um, but I knew that if I went to this coffee morning, people would get really excited seeing me and the twins. They'd whisk the twins off and I could get coffee and cake or tea and cake in peace and quiet. <laughs> so that was my, I just wanted somebody else to hold the babies for a minute because they're adorable. But when you have two, there's, it feels like there's no putting down time. Of course, of course. So I was there and the woman that was running it was also, uh, it was actually, she was selling aromatherapy creams or something, but I wasn't interested in any of that. And then I heard her talking and she was talking to, uh, she wasn't doing the spiel, she was just talking to another one of the mums that was there about being a doula. And I'd never heard the word before, so I said, well, well, what's that? And she was explaining to us what a doula was. And then I realized that I'd supported my sister during her pregnancy in labor and for my niece. I, um, yeah, I thought, well, I can do that. And then I got really pragmatic and practical. And I thought, she, uh, she told me about the, uh, where she'd done her training and she trained with Michelle O'Don and Liliana Lammers of Paramana Doulas. I said, that's who you need to train with. And I went, okay, then that's who I need to train with. So I went and I trained with them and um, Michelle was fabulous. He kept saying, and I won't do my very, very bad French accent. He kept saying, it's not your birth. You just need to be, why do you all keep wanting to put things on these people? Mm. And so that's very much remained my mantra to just be at a birth. So I meet lots of doulas who've got lots of tricks and bags and all sorts of things and I'm just like well you know what's in my doula bag is whatever I'm walking with at the time so if I'm walking and I've got well I've always got my book my keys my phone purse and charger but if I've got anything else in my bag I've got it in my bag if I don't then I don't and I just rock up to the birth and support and but I remember thinking right I've done this and I've liked this, but what if I don't like it as something to do for a living? So I gave myself four births, which I decided would probably pay for the training and any expenses I accrued and leave me sort of back at a level pegging. And it seemed a strange thing to do with them, um, two small children, two small babies. I'm a mother of five. and um, But I just thought, well, I'll give it a go. And I thought I would start nice and slowly and, gener and and build it up. But if I didn't like it after four births, I'd lost nothing. So I did the first birth and uh, the twins were being looked after. And I, I, went to, I went to my client and she was in the bar and her husband was bouncing around, bouncing around, so excited, so happy, um, constantly running in and out of the bathroom with his phone. And I'm like, can we take the phone out? Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. I said, remember all the things that we talked about, about calm and calm. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then you run in again. All of a sudden, things really started to, to kick off. And we got her to the hospital. And 45 minutes after we got there, the baby was born. And I remember leaving the hospital and trying to work out why cars and trucks were still moving down the road, why trains were still moving, why people were walking, how the world hadn't stopped to say, wow. A miracle has just occurred. Yeah. It's like, how did none of you know this? Do you not know where I've just been? And I loved it. And then I did my second birth and she was, um, 
He said, I'm sorry, I've called you under false pretenses. She says it keeps stopping and starting. And once I got her relaxed, it just really kicked off and she had a beautiful, a beautiful work. And I came out of that one thinking, wow, this is amazing. How comes the world hasn't stopped? And then I realised that, yeah, um, that was just it for me. And I still feel like that now, 15 years later. And so you never looked back after that. Thank you for sharing that. I personally had that experience of, within my own birth of like, why isn't the world stopping for me? Like, I've just given birth to a child. Like, you know, yeah. the whole um, reception on a, um, on a maternity ward, for example, I found to be the biggest antithesis to the birth experience that had just taken place. And I was like, birth needs to be honored. Like we have just gone through a massive rites of passage that is super intense. Like, like life and energy has manifested into this earth plane. And then you want to talk about, what do you want for lunch? Toast and beans. And I'm just like, <laughs> no, no, no. The way we think about birth, the way we think about pregnancy and motherhood, I just feel needs to be completely readdressed. And I think that's why so many women feel burnt out and feel exhausted because we're not in a space and time that honors that whole transition. Yeah. And none of us, even as doulas, so many doulas have forgotten to just pause and take in the enormity of it, but to celebrate the parents. So we often talk about, oh, I was at this birth and this birth was incredible. Oh, and I did this. But at the time of the actual birth, how many, I, I ask, just stop and just think, wow, look what you did, you know, and we've as much danger being doulas as other healthcare professionals, other people working anywhere of um, just falling into this pattern and just doing it and realizing that we're knackered and we want to go home and rah, 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 you know, and I'm not saying um, that all doulas are like that, but there are enough. And I think as well, we've got such Western ideas as to what birth is, what birth looks like that we've forgotten the celebration. And I don't just mean the baby shower and the, the mother blessing and the the gifts that you get when you get home, but the the full celebration of the whole thing. I hundred percent agree, and I I personally have taken that um, choice to kind of research and and kind of build in some of those rituals for myself and for my my children because I realised like I don't come from a um, background where that's readily available. I didn't see women in my family do that. I did. It was just like, okay, the baby's born and now all the emphasis is on the child. And there wasn't any real care or um, consideration given to the mother and that, and that massive upheaval, you know, mind, body, and soul. And so the work I do with Soul Mama, and I'm sure the work that you do um, with Abuela Doulas and, and your doula work is about re-honoring the mother and really holding that space for her so she can come into her truest, fullest experience. And so I just mentioned Abuela Doulas there, but I wondered if you could take us a bit into that chapter and what was your motivations behind it and what work you do through it now. So um, when I first started as a doula, as a twin mum, my interest was in multiple birth, in twin birth. So I began to support lots of uh, women who were having twins and they were all really keen to um, engage me because I had what five children and two of which were twins and so I did that more and more and started to become the go-to doula when it came to questions about twins people would ask me about twins all the time so then I wrote a workshop 
you know, and I thought, actually, I'm going to put all my knowledge into one day and then people can come rather than spending hours on the phone to lots of different people, just put it, bring it all into one thing. And of course, this year I then went and put it online. But after I'd been doulering for a few years, I kept coming up against the issue of um, the lack of black doulas, the lack of black women, black people coming in to use doulering services. And it kept bothering me. And the doula organisation that I was part of would often say things like, well, you know, they don't come to us, so they're not interested in us. And I said, well, what are we doing to go out to them to bring them so that they know who we are? Well, they're just not interested. And I remember um, there was an opportunity to sponsor the Black Baby Show, and it was really cheap. And it's a fantastic opportunity. And um, they said, no, they weren't going to do it. They didn't have the money for it. But two white doulas had been um, nominated for an award ceremony up in Scotland, and they paid for them to go to that, mm. which combined cost more than it would have cost to sponsor the Black Baby Show. Right. And... I just remember thinking, and then they sort of did a, a, a poultry effort the, the following year to support Black Baby Show, but of course they'd lost the opportunity to really get their name out in in the inaugural year. Um, and I just kept thinking there's something so wrong where we're not looking at and valuing our black doulas and black women and not thinking that they're important enough or necessary to the work. And doulaing has very much got a white middle-class face. And that had been frustrating me for a long time. I'd been talking about it, etc. And then, so my best, but one of my best birth buddies, Nicola Goodall, I call her the wife. Um, one day we were in Scotland and she just looked at me, she said, oh, write the bloody course already. <laughs> now, what I love about the wife is she runs her own doula training course. And unlike... Um, one or two others that I spoke to who were running doula training courses, they shut it down immediately. Oh, we don't need any more courses. Why do we need more courses? Mm. But they were worried about their bottom line and competition. Competition, exactly. And she was worried about what I wanted and why I wanted it. And she said, so write the course already. So then I wrote Abuela Doulas. And I chose the word Abuela because it's Spanish for grandmother and I really love it. I just really love the word. And um, it was between that and Nonna, but Abuela sounded like it worked better because I do believe in bringing the wisdom of the grandmothers forward in modern birth, taking that learned ancestry. I mean, one of my favourite, uh, and I have a few, one of my favourite Facebook posts was, uh, um, it says, I add seasoning to my food until I hear the ancestors whisper, enough, child. I love that one. I love that one. And, and that's how I feel about the doulering. You know, we have our ancestry, we have our cultures, but all of that is stripped away from birth because birth is a very white Western thing. And even the practices that were taken out to the African continent, etc., very white medicalized and Western. And even as white women are starting to become more, oh, I don't know, earthy, natural whatever the terms are and looking for more holistic things that message hasn't gone back out to the continent of africa so they're still doing very much the medicalized western way which we see now is actually really 
not that great. So it was important for me to start to train doulas, particularly but not exclusively black women, Asian women, Muslim women, women of colour, um, so that our communities would be see themselves represented. And within that work, I've been challenging people to colour in their their websites, their resources, the things that they're, the imagery that they're showing. So that same doula organisation wanted to do a diversity issue, but I got told that the article that they'd asked me to write was too much housekeeping and it, it wasn't quite right and it didn't give the message that they wanted to give out to the world, which is because it was going out to more than doulas. So basically they wanted, we're all lovely and look, we have black right. people. They wanted the token without the work. Yeah, that wasn't ever the message I was going to write. What they did instead was they got an image from Instagram of a naked black pregnant woman rising out of water and then there was nothing and put that on the front cover and then there was nothing inside the magazine to talk about this cover. Right. Just an empty gesture. An empty gesture, but not only an empty gesture, but what a, a stereotypical one, naked black woman fetishizing this black woman where everyone else is, is shown clothed or at least shown with their babies or within the throes of labour. But she stood up and she's, you know, just fully naked on the front cover. Mm. And nothing about her inside. Mm. No article, nothing. And things like that would just drive me insane because I'm more than just a photograph. Of course, of course. And so your work with Abuela Doulas, that course that you wrote, how do you weave in that kind of ancient wisdom? How do you weave in the richness of culture and indigenous practices or all of the things that you feel like we're missing as Western modern women approaching birth in this very medicalized way, apart from the few, as you mentioned, who are kind of reclaiming this more natural and awakened approach? So one of the exercises or one of the things that we do, they get pre-course work and post-course work. And within that work, I ask them all black, white, brown, yellow and different to bring their different cultural stories to the table. Right. And we don't close anyone down when they're sharing their cultural story. Or if someone says they don't have one, we help them explore and find out what it is that they do mm-hmm. have. And for black women especially, I've talked to so many that have done courses and as they've started to tell their story and talked about their their lived experience of racism within the birthing system they get shut down and told not all not black women all women this doesn't just happen to black women you're making it something it's not and their stories are shut down and closed and we don't shut down stories and if you're white and you're coming on my course it's a prerequisite that you read why I'm no longer talking to white people about race because we will not have any white centering in my courses and if you're going to cry unfortunately none of the white women that have been on my course have done this but if you're going to cry, you need to take yourself out of the room so that we can continue, so that the the story doesn't, doesn't become about them. Doesn't become about their discomfort and their fragility and making them feel great about themselves. And we also talk a lot about what it is to be non-racist versus anti-racist and what we can do in our different practices. Right. And actually owning that. Yeah, and then we talk about the stories, you know. For example, and one that I I share with everyone all the time, as a Jamaican, one would say, I dream a fish. You're pregnant? Mm Mm-hmm. 
um, no, mama, I'm not pregnant. Your sister pregnant? No, your other sister pregnant? <laughs> your cousin pregnant? The goldfish pregnant? Go through everybody find out pregnant. Who in the family is the one? Yeah. yeah. And then as soon as you find out, I, I tell you, I, I dream of fish. Yes, yes. For a very long time, we used to just laugh at her and just think, ah. Oh. You know, that's the thing you mentioned about a lot of women feeling like they perhaps don't have a culture richly to draw from. And Mm. I think that's part of the experience of being a diasporan living in London, as we are. But, you know, in the Western world, there is this sense that, you know, we're three, maybe four generations removed from whichever place we've come from. And so there is a sense of loss and of like, what do we do when it comes to something so, so big as as motherhood and birth all of a sudden I feel like there's a yearning and an active searching for what what does that look like what did I what did grandma do what did you know why didn't we talk about these things and so we're almost kind of starting from a place of loss and lack and I wondered if that kind of comes up for you when you deal with clients so who are women of color of that sense of grieving around the loss because up until that point sometimes you don't even realize it's a loss until you have something so life-changing as becoming a parent and then it all of a sudden realize like where is my village where are my tribe where are my where are my resources my knowledge my you know and that's something that I find as well with the doulas that I'm training so when I tell them the story of my mother I then tell them that actually the fish is a symbol of fertility across the world so that story's come from somewhere exactly that story's come back come through her ancestry we're not just saying it just because it's something to say it's come somewhere the old wives tales that have been poo-pooed by white western man and women have been made to feel stupid for sharing these stories but actually this is old wisdom and old magic and I find with um clients that I work with actual doula clients who are black women women of color that talking to them about their culture their heritage and the things that they do and I watch them come alive as part of what I do is to hold the space for them to talk about these things and not be jumping and saying, oh, did you do that? Because what we do is this, you know, and letting them talk. And so that's what happens within my course. That's what happens as I talk to people. Because we all know very simple, common um, cultural differences in people. We know that, for example, when you go into a Japanese person's house, you should take your shoes off because they don't wear shoes in the house. Oh, but Miles, I don't wear shoes in my house either. It's like, no, you don't wear shoes in your house because you don't want the dirt trodden in. They don't wear shoes in their house because it's a specific cultural reasoning. Right. So rather than jumping on and saying, well, I don't do that or I do that or I do the other, you know, it's about cultural reasoning and mores and traditions and things. And one of the things that we don't, do is we don't talk enough about our traditions and our cultures mm. and we don't leave people let them explore them and as you say to grieve them because you know I when I have black women on my course often it takes them a while to find any information because our stories have always been shut down we've always been told how dirty how wrong how old-fashioned how jungle it is, you know, and in an effort to fit in with this white Western world, our parents suppressed and put these things away. And so 
Abuela doulas is about bringing the wisdom of the ancestors forward into modern birth, remembering the things that we're doing. There's this fantastic uh, indigenous Colombian midwife called Romero Romero. And Romero is, um, he comes from an unbroken line of midwives oh. and medicine, traditional midwifery in Colombia. And I heard him speaking at a, a birth conference, which was an awful birth conference because there was just so much shutting down of black people. But anyway, and um, Michelle O'Donnell was speaking and he spoke just before Romero. And then Romero stood up and the first thing he said was, Michelle, I'd like to thank you for, uh, for showing us that science is finally catching up. With what we've already known. With what we already know. Every right. time you read something, we've discovered it's really beneficial for babies to have skin to skin. Really? You don't say. But the worst thing, I think, the further step from that is then repackaging that and selling it back to us with a premium on top. It's like yes. now, you know, the, the Benkham belly binding or the vaginal steaming or the yoni egg practice, like all of these things which have been ancient cultural traditions that have been... Yes suppressed as you say in order for us to conform and to survive being in this situation and then it's being sold back to us at a like a with a margin on top and you're like wait hang on a second now this is the new trend but this is my ancestral wisdom for generations but that's what appropriation is about it's about going and finding something that belongs to a different culture deciding that you like it calling it appreciation wrapping it up slapping a load of rules and paperwork on it and then selling it back. But what's really sad is there are so many within our own cultures that don't know about it. So I'm talking to black women who are beginning to discover yoni steaming and they don't know that it's something that we've always had. No, we never had that. We never had that. And I'm like, find out from your grandmother. Find out from your mother. Ask what happened in the Caribbean. Exactly. Ask your mother why your mother tells you that you mustn't go out before a certain amount of time after the baby's born because you'll catch a cold in your womb. Where's the science in that? Find the science that's actually attached to that. And you realize that your mother was talk- and your grandmother were talking a wisdom that you'd taken for granted because right. you went into the, we go into hospital, we have our baby, we get up, we get out, and we're out the door as soon as we can. At the moment, some hospitals are telling uh, new parents, new mothers, that they need to go to the hospital for the, uh, the 12-day discharge or checkup. Mm-hmm. So 12 days after they've given birth to their new baby, because this will make what? The hospitals more efficient, save the hospitals more money? How does it save money when you've got these new parents and new babies travelling into a hospital from their warm, cosy bed? Exactly. Through a place full of sick people to sit with their baby, to wait to be told, yeah, your baby's gained weight, all is well, we're going to take you off. I think there's just, there's so much wrong with the medicalized approach to birth and motherhood. Um, I intended to have two home births. I've got two children and both times ended up in the birth center and, and thankfully both births went well, but my observations and my experiences and when I, and when I work with clients is that most people at some level, once you've gone into a hospital, you are experiencing a level of trauma especially as a woman of color, because there is a sense that your autonomy shifts. You are suddenly put under these micromanaged situations where interventions are being pushed. Partners are not always respected. There's just so many things that make that environment hostile to the act of birthing a human. 
Are you a massive advocate of home birth or do you feel like you can have that experience in a hospital? You know, I love home births, and, um, but I'll support all births everywhere. And I love home births, but mostly I love home births because at the end, parents and the baby just get into bed together. And that's exactly what you need to do, right? Yeah. Rather than having lots of people coming in and out, looking for keys, do you want some food? We need to weigh the baby. I need to write some notes. Press this button if you need me. I've got to do this. Does everything let me just, you know, and all the checks can happen at home, but happen much more quietly and much more gently. But in hospital, there's this sense of needing to fill in forms and just move on quickly, move on quickly to the next one. And I feel for for our midwives and our healthcare professionals, because for the ones that really want to, there is no time for them to do that just sitting with and being with and being still, you know. Whereas at home, you can do all of that. Exactly. And so we've started to have this conversation around birth and around the experience in the hospital. And I know there's been a lot of recent awareness being placed about the recent Embrace report and the statistics that came out around the figures to do with black maternal death and the fact that black women are five times more likely to die than white women. And so what do you feel, even though the responsibility itself doesn't lie with women of colour, because obviously we've understood that the system in itself is inherently biased and racist but what can women of color do themselves to best prepare themselves if they are entering into a pregnancy where there's going to be lots of checks or where they're suddenly termed high risk or they're knowing they're going to have to kind of engage with the system but want to go in feeling empowered and prepared and positive and calm what can these women do well it's important to remember that the number is low the deaths are low the number of deaths are low. So it's highly unlikely, unlikely that you're going to rock up at hospital and give birth and die. So that's the first thing that we need to make clear because people think, oh my God, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. However, the reality is this. Black women are five times more likely than white women to die in the perinatal period. The perinatal period is from the time of conception through to the first year of the baby's birth. The mortality, maternal mortality, maternal death rates are dropping, but for black women, they're rising. And this is why we know that it's to do, and it has to be to do with implicit bias. Because otherwise, why would our rates be going up? What we're doing isn't particularly changing. So what do I say to black women? Well, hopefully before you get pregnant, you're talking to people. If you, so I've had um, some conversations with young women that have said, oh, I was, you know, I might want to get pregnant in a few years. What do I do? So we need to start the conversation. We're very bad as a community of talking to each other mm. and listening to each other. I was sat in a room where only one person hadn't given birth to a child, and that was by choice. And we were talking about birth, and um, I was talking about placentas or something, and the older women in the room went absolutely ballistic. You can't talk about stuff like that. Oh, there are young people in here. You can't. And I said, well, every single one of them has had a baby. So if every single one of them has had a baby, then every single one of them understands the fluids in the cabins of birth. So why can't we talk about it? 
we don't like to talk. So yoni theming. We don't like to talk about our our yonis, our pumpums, our vaginas. Mm. You know, we get very scared about using real language. We barely even call our vulvas what they are anymore. And why do you, you think know? that is? Because we've fallen into this tradition of not shocking children. Because mm. obviously your human body is a shocking thing, you know. And we're constantly trying to protect our children, but what are we protecting them from? Are we protecting them from our embarrassment? Or are we protecting them from something that's unnatural and uh, not normal? We need to start the conversations years before the pregnancy right. even comes into view. You know, my work allows me to talk to my children about this all the time. My eldest son, when he was 13, was in a biology class and his teacher said, right, you know, this is how birth works. He was at an all-boys school. He put his hand up and he said, sir, I'm sorry, but birth doesn't work that way. All right, then, Lord, if you know how birth works, why don't you tell us? So he said to me when he got home, so I took them through birth, the placenta, the golden hour, and halfway through breastfeeding, I realized I should stop. Wow. Because it's normal to my kids. Right. But my kids are lucky because I'm their mother. That's why it's normal to them. Right. And so it's having that conversation, those hard conversations with our mothers, with our grandmothers, actually opening those questions. I think there has been a lot of shame around sexuality, I would say, for women, you know, across the board. But I think there is something particular where with with women of colour and, and that kind of cultural burden of not wanting to be any more sexual or any more an object for anybody else's desire but of course that's really natural because we come from a history of generational trauma a history of enslavement where black women were were raped routinely to breed them or just because the owner or the the overseer just wanted to and we as a community as a people have started to put or have built barriers around ourselves. But the problem with those barriers is then they started to push out the very people that we should keep closest to up. So we've been fetishized, we've been eroticized, we've been sexualized. So we do our best to hide that side right. of ourselves. Because, you know, survival. We're, yeah, we're either the mother, the Jezebel, the whore, you know. Uh, we, we can't be all things, but we, we're told that these things are negative, those things are negative. So we hide to protect ourselves and we hide from the conversation to protect ourselves and those around us. Mm. And I think going into motherhood is one of the first times that level of generational trauma can surface because all of a sudden you're going into something that you realise, like, I'm connected to the women who've come before me. And my survival, you know, wasn't a given. And there's the point of, of that dawning and that realization of like, wow, now I'm having to take responsibility for the well-being of my next generation. Where do I sit in this history? Where do I sit in this ancestry? And so when women kind of come into that awareness, which can be a bit of a shock, you know, this deeply embodied generational trauma, the shame around sexuality or the, the struggle to speak about the things that matter or to even really explore our pleasure, our bodies and you know, what, what steps to healing have you taken and do you recommend when you're seeing this show up with women? So we talk and we listen and we hold space and we talk 
and we listen and we cry. And this is why I tell everyone when I go and I speak about these things, I have no time for white tears, white centering, white saviorism, white fragility. And why I do believe that we need our own spaces. When I started Abuela Doulas and said that it was a course, particularly but not exclusively for black women, a white woman said to me, you're saying it wrong. She said, it's, it's awful what you're saying. She said, flip it around and see how it, it works. So you're saying, I'm writing a course um, primarily but not exclusively for white women. And I said, we're telling this every day. That's the world. Hello. Exactly. That's, every That's everything. It's, it's actually every aspect of society. Yeah. And, you know, and I know that currently in the UK, mine is the only black founded, crafted and owned doula training. Groups. And it's so needed. So needed. But it's what's needed is the conversations that we have to have with one another. Mm. And so that we can start to support one another as we're going into birth and know that our experiences are valid, knowing that if your cousin or your sister or your mother has told you about the racism they experienced whilst they were birthing, but couched it in a way so, so that you have to sometimes say to them, they're being racist, weren't they? And mm. like, oh, girl, you know, you know, we need to be able to have those conversations. Mm. And we can't have those conversations if someone else is going, no, 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 it's not racism, that's just the way women are treated. Mm. And completely removing it. I think one of the questions that I have around this is, you know, in places, so so in this country, if we use as an example, where there are black midwives and there are black obgynes and there are black people on staff, right? Um, and yet sometimes... I've heard and have experienced that women feel treated worse than by, by a black midwife. But you have to remember where those, those midwives and those doctors were trained. They were trained within a white patriarchal society. Black midwives are far more, far more likely to be suspended than white midwives. And yet when you get to the end of the process, white midwives are more likely to be struck off. So if you're a black midwife and you try to step outside of the very narrow parameters, well, then you're risking your career. So how, how must that play out every day as you're doing your job and you're doing your best and you're trying everything to keep people supported and you're trying to hear your black clients, et cetera. And then uh, you know that a white doctor or a white midwife is looking at you saying, well, she went off script. She's told them to do that if you're more likely to be suspended. Mm. So build that up over the years, and then here comes frustration. Mm. And is it that they're treating you worse because you're black, because you're black, or because they're saying, the system hates us. I'm trying to keep you safe in the system, and the only way I can keep you safe in the system is you, if you be quiet and don't make noise and just come through and just get out the door. Mm. So there are so many things to think about. Mm. But, you know, the crash test dummies, where they did the study to find out or to let us know why we should wear seatbelts and how idiotic we are not to wear them. Well, it came out last year or so that um, those tests were done on white men, so not women. And when we talk about birth, we talk about women. Well, what do we mean when we say women? Mm. We mean white women, because white is normal, white is neutral. Mm. And we know this because when John's... No, it's, we're having so many fabulous examples at the moment in the world. John Snow talked about a march and he said, 
I've never seen so many white people in one place. Well, he got 2,700 complaints to Ofcom for racialising white people. Wow. But they can call us black and they can racialise us as black. But they cannot be racialised because they are the normal, the neutral, the ordinary. So do you believe that birth is inherently different for women of colour? Outside of the system and outside of the way that people's biases show up, do you believe that it's actually different? I don't see why birth has to be different or should be different. Black women across the African continent, when you take the socioeconomics out of it, have much better rates of survival than we do. I worked in a, I did a birth in a private hospital. I've done a fair bit of you. But um, this one doctor here was an African doctor that my client was under. And um, he, he came into the room and he smiled at her. He said, oh, you're doing so brilliantly. And um, then he went off and then he came back and she'd given birth. And um, he looked, I remember he examined her. She said, do I need stitches, etc." And he said, do you know, I've just done six months in Africa and he named the country that he was in. And he said, we don't have all of this stuff here. He said, we don't need these bells and whistles for birth. He said, if you want me to stitch you, I'll stitch you, but you don't need it. If you get your heel. And he just took this holistic approach and the experiences that he had from the time that he spends every year on the African continent. Birth is inherently different for us as black people when we birth within a white system. Studies have shown and continue to show the racial bias within medicine. The fact that um, doctors decided years and years ago, and their theories are still taught in the medical schools and colleges, that black people don't suffer pain in the same way, that black people have a higher pain threshold. There's a, I was reading the other day about um, a machine that measures the efficiency of your lungs, and it has a race corrector in it. So when we say, no, these things don't happen, no, the system isn't racist or biased, it's, within the, it, it, it's built within the system. Anthony Brown, I think his name is, was a black man who eventually escaped, who was, who was constantly being cut and scarred so that his owner, the scientist, could prove the different pain thresholds between black and white people. And, he, and that same um, slaveholder would say to people that, he amputated the legs of slaves and they would hold the upper thigh and they needed no anaesthetic. And just recently, a couple of years ago, there was a book out to nurses that talked about the different way that different ethnicities cope with and manage pain. And so this dehumanisation, like that is not something that we can address and fix overnight, right? I don't think any of these things will be fixed overnight. That's why I think we need to be talking. That's why I think it's like your podcasts are important because we have to keep the conversation going. But there comes a point when the conversation will finally be heard and we will need to be moving in action and we will need to be doing things. Right. And so we can't afford to wait for the powers that be to wake up and recognise that this is now a problem and that they now need to invest in solutions because clearly it hasn't been and the stats have been there. Clearly this is not a new phenomenon. There's just now data to prove it. There's always been data to prove it. So now that data is probably just kind of surfacing in a way that now more of us are able to actually 
feel supported in our observations and in our own lived experiences. And so for us to feel empowered instead of being fearful and and being a victim, what things can we do to really go into birth and into motherhood in the strongest position possible? Black women, you know, we've got to start investing in ourselves. We're beginning to look at ourselves in so I mean, I've got so much hope for sort of the like my children's generation and the one coming up behind them, because black people are really holding on to and speaking out loudly about their health. I think the internet, I still think the internet has been one of the best things ever to happen to black people, particularly black women, because we are the lowest in the rung. But now our voices are joining together and we're all beginning to talk about these things. We're talking about our health, we're talking about how to look after ourselves, how to make these things happen. And so I think we need to keep having these conversations. We need to start looking to the, to our doulas. Who are our healthcare providers? Who are the people that we're getting our antenatal sessions from? You know, who are you going to for your yoga class? And we have to get rid of that mentality that if it's got a white face on it, it must be better. Mm. And we mustn't hold on to the one or two negative experiences we've had with black practitioners. Mm-hmm. Because we have a negative experience with a white practitioner, but it doesn't stop us going back to a white practitioner. So we need to start to support one another. We need to really raise up our our cultural leaders, the people that are speaking out about these things, so that there's there's such a, a default. Things aren't so unless the nice white lady says it. So the Embrace report came out on the 1st of November 2018. I was on Woman's Hour talking yes. about this in July, seven months after the stats came out in July. There's been a wee buzz around it. The reason I keep speaking is because they keep trying to put the conversation back in the box, back in the box now. We've talked about that. We don't need to talk about it anymore. We need to keep talking about it so that we can take action. The stats have always been there. It's getting worse for us. So we need to be collective in our voices. But we need to look at who our healthcare providers are. Who are we getting our antenatal support from? What are we reading? What are we listening to? There is so much information out there. There are podcasts, there are books, there are birth activists who are talking. And we have a voice and we shouldn't have someone say it for us. I spoke at a conference, uh, a day conference at the beginning of the year. And I'd, we, were, we had a question and answer session at the end. I was the black face on the panel yet again. And this woman asked a question and I answered it. And then the woman that was running the, the panel and the conference said, what Mars means is this. Wow. And I said, no, I don't mean that at all. I meant exactly what I said. And I'm very capable of putting my point across. And that's the danger. We start to speak and then someone comes and interprets it and makes it nice and makes it neat and makes it polite and makes it, you know, makes it quite white. And then it becomes heard. Yes. And so it's challenging that and and making sure that the women who actually need to hear it and the ones who are in a position to be able to take action on that as well, hear our voices and hear our experiences. 
And I just wanted to talk about the women who've already gone through this experience and maybe have had the unfortunate um, luck of coming out with some level of trauma or having experienced some level of racism and are feeling like their birth didn't go the way they wanted it to, are feeling a sense of personal responsibility and failure around that whole situation and really want to do some healing. What do you advise for mothers post-birth? There's the Birth Trauma Organization. There's also a, a fantastic woman, Dr. Emma Spanberg, S-W-A-N-B-E-R-G, mumologist on social media, etc. And she's a, a, a trained psychologist. We need to find the people that we can talk to. And, you know, I would suggest that we, we find out who our black therapists are. Because if you want to talk about racism, you don't want somebody reasoning it away. You want someone who knows and acknowledges that it's there and knows that it's part of the conversation and listens whilst you pour out what you're pouring out and they're able to help you where you are rather than taking away a huge chunk and telling you that that's not important and that's, you know, and erasing that. So it all, it really does come back time and time again to the conversation talking and when someone is talking to listening and what does it mean to listen does it mean crafting your next question as they're speaking deciding how you're going to respond which story you're going to tell or does it mean giving them that valuable asset which is your time to just be and to be still and to let them share because there are lots of there are lots of traumas out there and we need to be careful not to jump in and do these very quick and easy little few day courses that that make us feel that we can deal with someone's trauma. We need to learn how to signpost and send them to people who can genuinely help. But I would, you know, I would find out who our black therapists are. And I'm not saying we can't talk to white people and I'm not saying that there aren't incredibly incredible midwives, doctors, psychologists, therapists, etc., yoga teachers who are white. It's just that we keep waiting for them to acknowledge what it is we're going through and suffering and dying in the meantime. And it's we're doing it more and more, but we need to keep looking into our community and finding our own healing rather than having our healing repackaged, as you said, and sold back to us. Mm. But we need to talk within our community. Where are our wise people? Where are our elders? Where is the respect that we used to have for elders? How do we build that back in mm. to our communities? Because our communities were decimated through enslavement. And so now you have pockets of people who have come from a lineage of enslavement, and those who haven't, trying to find that common ground where they talk and share together because their generational experiences have been very different. There's a huge, I think it was an Australian study done about um, generational trauma within victims and families of the Holocaust. Mm. And if we can accept that generational, intergenerational trauma happens for the Jewish nation who who came through such an awful time and how can we not see it and accept it within black people black families that were decimated from the beginning you couldn't have a loving partner they ripped the fathers out of those homes to sell them on to breed elsewhere or sold the wife on 
and then sold the children on elsewhere. So it's only in these last sort of couple of generations that we're beginning to be families and we're trying to find out what it means to be a family. And we get told, well, black people, they they don't know how to do family. Their families are always broken. Well, we're still living with this legacy of brokenness. But the narrative that we're seeing out there doesn't show us the people who have done the work and done the healing. And in my work with Abuela Doulas, I'm talking about how we are the generation that the curse ends and the healing begins. Because if you heal one woman and her birth, you heal generations. You know, it, I think the healing goes back seven generations. Yes, I love that. And it's so true because I see and feel how that works, that power to heal what wasn't spoken from our ancestors and to really step into the opportunities that we have now and to really be conscious about the choices that we're making when it comes to our families and our children. And all of this is part of the healing. That's what I'm learning is like by, by actually exercising our power to choose, that is the beginning of the healing because for so many generations, we didn't even have that. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I'm really hearing you about using our voices, sharing our stories and seeking out the stories of other women who have gone through what we've gone through. Um, and I just wanted to end on talking about your retreat, because it sounds like more of that is what happens at your retreat. So if you could speak a little bit to that as well. I had our first um, retreat, reproductive justice retreat, and it was attended by midwives, doulas, birth workers, practitioners. And we even had um, people from across the pond come and join us. And the first part of the weekend is very much spent just telling our stories, the stories of the people we've supported, the racism, the trauma, etc. And then um, I remember we were sat around the table because normally we would clear the table away and then sit around in chairs, etc. in the room. But this one session, we decided that what we'd do is we'd just clear the food and we'd stay and the table was sort of in a big sort of square formation. And then one of the, and we were talking about what we wanted to do. I said, okay, everyone. So we pulled out our hearts. We've heard the heartbreak. What do we do now? Because I have the answers for everybody. What I'm doing isn't what the person next to me is going to do, maybe because they don't feel comfortable or maybe it's just not what they want to do. And so we were all sort of sharing and talking about ways to encourage each other to create perinatal safe spaces with one another and for other people. And if you want to talk about perinatal safe spaces, then you really need to talk to Jenny Joseph, who's an NHS-trained midwife who's lived in Florida and runs a birth centre out there and is incredible and has fantastic um, rates out there for the way she cares and listens to people. But um, one of the women looked around and said, oh, my God, this is like a Wakanda war council. (laughs) And that's exactly what it felt like because we were like, right, we don't have time to wait. And there were were a few white women in the group too. And one of them, I remember, she said, listen, I I don't want to overstep and I don't know what I can do, but I do know that I have a lovely home in Wales and I do know that any of you that just need a break from this because I can see how physically and emotionally and mentally tiring this is. So I'm going to offer you my home as your perinatal safe space. You can just come and be. And another woman started to say, 
I need to write about this. I need to write about my journey through white fragility and what I've learned here. So the retreat isn't just about, you know, sitting down and saying, isn't it awful, the situation we find ourselves in. It's about workshopping through some practical things that we can do to help save ourselves and our people now. It's about holding up a, a mirror to ourselves and saying, okay, I've, you know, maybe I've fallen down in this or maybe I didn't know that. It's about learning new traditions, etc. So the coming together in the retreat is really about good food, good nourishment, hard conversations, celebration and forward planning and forward stepping. And I suppose I quite like that. It's the, the retreat weekend really is a Wakanda walk council. I love that vision. And I think it's so important because that's what I'm, my mission is with this podcast is not just that we have, you know, conversation about how hard everything is and what the challenges are, but that we can really transition and move into a place of healing and into and conscious choices that are going to empower us to have positive experiences because to me motherhood has the biggest opportunity to have that deep and profound and sacred awakening for us as women and to be able to step into that fully without all of this you know baggage and and pain right I, I don't think you can avoid it but I think we have to move through that and so being able to leave on that vision of the Wakanda kind of, you know, village circle of elders and women coming together to really just think forward and have solutions and ways that we can each take responsibility and use the opportunities that we've been given, the privileges that we yeah. have and are enjoying to actually do more for ourselves and for others. So thank you, Mars. Um, where can people reach you and follow more of your work? So if you Google Mars Lord, a whole load of things will come up um, about me. Um, I'm Abuela Doulas, as you said, A-B-U-E-L-A, Doulas, D-O-U-L-A-S, um, dot com. The same handle on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, or Mars Lord Doula on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Oh, in fact, no, on Facebook, I'm just underscore Mars Lord. Well, thank you so much for your work and for your continued visibility in this conversation and for constantly speaking up for women of colour for our needs and for our rights. I think it's a really important and urgent conversation. So thank you for that. And if there was one thing that we can leave with to kind of leave on a positive vibe, going into motherhood or navigating it already, what would you say? What would I say? Just rise up, queens, because, you know, we are powerful. We are strong, we are vulnerable, we are gentle, we are all things. And it's on our shoulders that the cradle of civilization rests. So rise up, grab the hand of your sister and your ancestors, rise up and move forward. Ashe. And so it is. And so it is. Give thanks. Next week, I'll be speaking to Danny McLean, journalist and author of the book. We Live for the We, The Politics of Black Motherhood. We talk about the ways that black women and families have adapted over time to a politically hostile environment and what choices we can make now. Until then, stay blessed. Thank you so much for listening. Head over to soulmamajourney.com for more resources and ways I can support you on your own conscious motherhood journey. 
For more inspiration, you can follow me on Instagram at soulmamacoach. Also get in touch via email through nahanda at soulmamajourney.com. I love to hear from you, what you thought, what you gained. Please take a moment to rate this podcast wherever you've listened to it. And please share with others you know who would benefit from this conversation. I appreciate you. Thank you. This podcast was produced by myself and Chris James. Music by my talented friend, Ayana Witter-Johnson. 